Today's episode is brought to you by College Backer, the easiest way to save for college with the help of family and friends. Go to www.collegebacker.com motherbirth to get signed up for a college savings plan for your child that your loved ones can donate directly to. College Backer will add $10 to your initial contribution exclusively for motherbirth listeners. I think motherhood's another opportunity for that, for us to wake up to... Who am I really? What do I what do I believe? What is right for me? What do I want to reinforce for myself, for my family? Um, we can really take back our our agency and our mm. power in, in that role. Welcome to Motherbirth. We help women awaken the confidence that is already within. This is a space for vivid, inspiring birth stories, meaningful advice from guest experts, and honest exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hello, friends. This is Melissa, and I'm here with Laura and a friend, or not a friend, a sister of a friend, and someone that I'm so excited to be talking to today. I have known um, Ellen's sister for a few years because her husband used to work for me during my um, tenure in real estate. Many of you guys know that I used to um, be part of owning a real estate company. I did that for over 10 years and transitioned away to be able to um, create more space in my life for these conversations. Um, and so I had an awesome guy that worked with me whose wife I met and his wife, Molly, um, suggested that I connect with her sister, Ellen, who is a psychotherapist who works specifically um, with couples and with women around a lot of different things, including body image and um, some really important conversations around how that looks in our lives. So Ellen, would you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Thank you, Melissa. Um, Yeah. Thanks for being with us. Yeah. I'm happy to be here. I, yes, I'm a psychotherapist. I live in Boulder, Colorado uh, with my family. So I am married uh, and I have two children, a daughter who's seven and a son who's nine. And I still have a part-time private practice and am primarily seeing couples, but I focused on women and women's issues for so long prior to having kids. And so Mm -hmm. I still do see individual women and um, with the range of things. Now, of course, motherhood is part of that as well as relationship issues um, and really any other kind of big transitional life stuff. Hmm. Yeah. So you have a seven and a nine year old. How did your work shift when you became a mother? Oh, you know, in some ways it it didn't change at all. And in some ways it's totally different. And Mm -hmm. when I, um, you know, I really had imagined my postpartum life to just kind of continue along as it had before. Somehow I had this idea that I would sort of have, have a baby and keep working. And my husband and I would, we would figure it out. We'd share the childcare and we'd both work part-time. And, and we actually did that for a couple of years until I had my daughter. And then it was after having my second child that we had to shift how we did everything because it just didn't make sense for us to share it the way we had financially Mm. and logistically it wasn't and where my energy was at after after my daughter I I really needed a change and so I really gradually um scaled back my practice and 
actually even stepped out of, I'd been working in the eating disorder fields for about seven or eight years at that point. And I realized that, um, I wasn't going to be able to work with a, with a clientele that needed me to be so engaged outside of our office time, because, um, you know, the best Mm -hmm. way to work with someone recovering from an eating disorder is to also be in touch with their family, um, maybe a nutritionist or dietitian, sometimes a primary care physician, sometimes, um, you know, group therapists, like there might be a lot of different aspects of care that they're receiving that I was, Mm. was always interfacing with. And I, I just knew I couldn't do as much as I loved the work. I really needed to just be at work. They just had, they had to have me during that hour. And then I knew I wouldn't be able to get back to people or make those other phone calls. So, um, and I was also starting to get really interested in, uh, you know, the relationship world of being married and having a family. And so I was doing just a lot of my own kind of research and reading around and studying around marriage and motherhood. And my interest was really going into more the relational realm. And so within a few years, I was starting to study with Stan Tatkin, who's an incredible couple therapist and has developed a beautiful body of work um, called PACT. And so I've been studying with him for the last four years and, and transitioning to working with couples. So I'm still doing, mm-hmm. um, the deep therapeutic work I love to do. And, but the population has really changed and my, my schedule has changed <laughs> to yeah, accommodate. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've been finding a way to make it work for you. Yeah. You know, and as I'm sure, you know, from having talked to so many mothers, it's, it's been such a personal journey to find like, what's my way with motherhood and work outside of that. And I've, you know, for years was really reflecting just, you know, day after day, month after month on, you know, what do I really want to do? I was privileged enough to be able to choose how much I wanted to work and whether I even wanted to. And and it, even though some days it felt really difficult to, to do that, I, I always came back from seeing clients with more energy, more aliveness, and more inspiration. I would return to my family even after a few hours, um, just with kind of like a, a, fre- a breath of fresh air in my body. And so I just felt like, you know, that it just kept telling me that like it was, it was okay to keep working and it, it was good for mm-hmm. me, even though even though I really wrestled with, um, with just all the, I wrestled with myself around it because sometimes I felt like I shouldn't be working at all. Sometimes I felt like I should be working so much more and furthering my career. And so, because that's um, just what we do as women, right. (laughs) Just question whatever (laughs) we're doing. You know, and, and having preconceived ideas, you know, going in thinking it was going to be one way. And then once I'm in the experience of being a mother, really feeling quite differently about the whole thing. And, um, Mm -hmm. so it, it took me a few years to really feel comfortable with the setup that was right for me. Hmm. Tell us a little bit more about that going into motherhood, thinking it would be a certain thing and and realizing that it was quite different from that. Cause that's a, that's a theme. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Totally. Um, yeah, I mean, going into motherhood, having zero idea really of what it would be like and, I I wasn't someone who always thought I would have children. I I really wasn't sure for most of my life if I would be a mother or if I wanted to. And it, 
wasn't until um, meeting my husband and getting married that I really started to feel like I could do it and I wanted to and that it would be good. And so Mm -hmm. I, and I was 35 when I had my first child. So I had really had this wonderfully rich adulthood um, and career that I loved and, you know, before, before becoming a mother and, um, and, but I really wanted to just be open to whatever it would bring. And, but I definitely saw my career continuing. And, and after I had my son, I, um, I was just, I was blown away by how much I loved being a mother. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I could, I tear up as I talk about it. It's, it's truly, it was one of the best surprises of my life that I had not anticipated at all how much I would love it. I think I, I thought I would be, you know, I was worried about how am I going to get enough time alone? How am I going to be able to do what I love to do? And I, and I, after I had him, I was like, how can I have more time with him? How can I be here more? And Mm -hmm. so I really benefited, um, greatly in that way. Um, just so, so beautifully surprised by it. And so, you know, I had to kind of reckon with, wow, I have not valued motherhood as part of the, you know, I've been working with women all these years too, and, and just had not valued the enormity of motherhood and the, mm-hmm. the role that that plays for women in their lives. And, and there I was really starting to live it and, and live out my own experience of how, how valuable it is to have nurturing feminine beings on the planet that want to just, uh, raise families in the, in the best way they can. And so, Hmm. so it, it shifted a lot, it shifted my values and priorities a lot. And, you know, I still feel like I'm quite oriented around my motherhood and my family first. It feels like my biggest priority. And then my work in the world is, needs to be an extension of kind of what I'm living at home. And, um, it it feels very connected to all my roles feel more integrated now, 10 years in, (laughs) but, um, Mm I, I I was sort of blown over by how important and how much I loved being a mother, how important it felt to me and how much I loved it. Hmm. Yeah. I love that. I feel like it's difficult sometimes to create space for that. I mean, I don't know if it's narrative, if that's the right word. I think kind of like you said, there's kind of both extremes where it's like, this is the most important thing. It's the only important thing. And then the other thing where it's like, your career is your most important thing. And then there's a third narrative, which is like, you can do it all. And then I think the the real, (laughs) the real feelings of most women is that I love both or there's richness in both. And and it's not even about balancing it in this correct homeostasis. It's just about living true to yourself. And I love like the idea of being like emotionally surprised by things that you you thought you mentally understood so well right being deep be deep more deeply connected to women through going through different experiences yourself and you know we talk a lot about that with Mm. work with mothers I'm not a mother and so but my life's work is women's healthcare. so my my journey is like helping people go through this experience yeah and I think often for myself I actually just like I disassociate with it being a personal thing that I hope to go through myself and so I think I hear myself and then it's like, you, you know, you give your, a lot of your work was with women and, and yet there's this part of 
there is a part of life that you just experience as, as you get the opportunity to, to live it. And I think now, you know, it makes so much sense to me that now you are working with families and helping mm-hmm. families build stronger bonds through their relationships. Yeah. Right. It's really, yeah. really beautiful. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as, as your practice kind of shifted and you, and you were really kind of reorienting yourself towards this, this new priority structure in your life and, and the, you know, the rich, um, emotional connections that you were experiencing with your children. Um, I want to kind of ask you how, you know, you started to, you've been working with women all these years around body image, eating disorders, you know, these, Mm -hmm. these things that, um, are, are so secretive and so shameful in our culture, things we don't talk about. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of these things are, you know, things that women experience over their lifetime off, often starting in childhood or adolescence, um, but, but can also really be magnified during the, you know, the childbearing years, the postpartum period. So as you experience this yourself, how did you you know, both with your experience working with women around these issues, as well as, you know, your, your clinical experience as a psychotherapist, and then now sort of, you know, merging that with your own experience of becoming a mother and going through a postpartum transition. How did you experience that for yourself? And then how did that shift how you saw women going through that transition? I'm laughing because we could talk for days. Let's talk for days. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's, and and help me, Melissa, if I if I veer off of where you want me to go here. But I think what what's coming to mind as I contemplate this question is just how I had the privilege of being in the eating disorder field for many years. Um, it's an incredible field to work in. It's um, full of incredibly amazing women, and and of course there's men there too. But I primarily did work with women and. Um, and I had the privilege of really working through a lot of my body image and identity issues during that time. I mean, I, I had to be really honest and clear with myself and where I was, where I was hung up on things around food and my own body in order to be able to help other people with that journey. Mm-hmm. And, and of, and of course, with, when it comes to eating disorders and body image, that's never the end of the story. There's always a deeper, uh, a deeper question or um, journey that needs to be made for a woman to recover. And so I was extremely interested in that um, because I never struggled with um, a full-blown eating disorder, but I definitely, definitely had appreciation for making the journey of figuring out one's own identity and becoming a sovereign being uh, who really trusted and could speak their voice and their truth. Mm. And that's so much the journey of recovery. So I, so I loved the work and, um, and yes, it came with having to really look at and be honest about where I was still playing out some of those mainstream conventional, um, body image standards or food trends or beliefs about my, my physical being. And so when I came to motherhood, I, again, was in, I feel like a privileged position where I had done so much work around the body piece. I I got to really just 
enjoy and kind of revel in the the wisdom and brilliance of how a baby, how a woman's body makes a baby. I, I felt like I could really embrace the changes hmm. and, in my body and, um, and sort of be awed by them. My, my, you know, my body shape changed dramatically. And so it was, it was a, it was a awe inspiring experience for me, which I know that is not true for most women, mm-hmm. um, especially having worked with so many. So I, again, I had this privilege of years of having to really look at those things and coming into motherhood with, you know, just kind of having no idea how my body would navigate it. And I, I had very healthy pregnancies and births and postpartum, just very, um, really, I, I can't, I have no complaints about how my body did all of that. And so the, the privilege of that too, just the, the natural forces, whatever was on my side that, that helped, helped me navigate the physicality of all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like, you know, it's interesting because today I, I did have a woman in my office, a woman I see individually that's pregnant right now. And, and what she came in with today was a lot of the body image struggles around pregnancy. And it's interesting that I was having this interview today because, because, um, I haven't, I haven't heard that in a while. And, and the way I always listen to that is, yes, this is a real thing because we live in a society that has such a narrow standard for how women are supposed to look and how we're supposed to be. I mean, we all, we all know this, (laughs) we've, we've heard it for our whole lives. And, and then you come into pregnancy where, your body, you're really not in charge of how your body responds to this whole thing. And yet you're still, um, judged and held to these impossible standards, um, throughout pregnancy and beyond. And so, Mm -hmm. so it is a real pain point for women. It is, it, it does, it even takes them out of the experience of being pregnant and in their body because they're preoccupied with some of the strange things that are happening or the, the weight that's coming on that they don't understand how, you know, why it's, why it's the number, why they're the number they are, or the changes, you know, to different parts of their body that are concerning to them and not knowing where it's going to go after. And, um, it's real and it's reflective of our society. It's reflective of, um, you know, so many of the ways we treat women, but the, as I work with it, I I'm always looking for, you know, what else is she, scared about. There's so much that's unknown about becoming a mother or even having your second or third baby there. You're still entering. A woman is still going through a a process that is a, that where she has to just, there's so much surrender to that, to just what's going to unfold and so little control. And so that's where I try to support women is with the, the, the emotional, the identity, the psychological aspects of how little, how little control they have over what's happening and how to stay, how to keep finding the resources that they feel within them or around them to, to navigate something that's so, um, you know, that, that we know ne- we're always in control in our society and you know, we don't, we don't know how to really embrace these unknowns. And that's so much a, a mother's work is how to, how to, how to sit in the unknown and trust herself and hear herself and find herself and, and keep quieting the the judgments or the perceptions of negative judgments that are 
inevitably going to come her way because they will. It's just the world we live in. I feel like the theme of the show recently has been surrender. (laughs) It's not a surprise to me that, that you use that word because it really, it does require surrender. And I think, you know, even, even just with the, the body image stuff, you know, I've, I've struggled with that so much throughout my pregnancies and postpartum periods, despite, you know, all the work I've done around that and how intentional I am about, you know, the, the beliefs that I am actively reinforcing, it's still a daily, daily thing that I'm you know, that I'm facing. And I think that, you know, we're, we're so conditioned in our culture to, you know, like you said, we're supposed to look a certain way. And so whatever narrative it is that we have in our head, I mean, I, I feel like so many of us have these, these narratives. It's may, maybe even like you're used to, you're, you're used to your weight fluctuating five to 10 pounds, which maybe you don't love, but that's sort of like the narrative that you tell yourself, well, yes, my weight fluctuates five to 10 pounds, but it, it fluctuates five to 10 pounds around 140. And so that's like what you've accepted or negotiated with yourself is, is okay. And then all of a sudden now you've mm-hmm. gotten pregnant and now you're, you know, you weigh 165 and this wasn't what you negotiated, you know? It's, it's a whole, yeah. it just like creates this, this thing that we don't, we don't know how to, we don't know how to unpack. We just don't know how to even right. have a conversation about it. Right. And, and so many women will say like this, I never had a problem with this before because again, maybe their body had always been stable and they'd um, negotiated with themselves somehow around that. Mm -hmm. And now that it's changing, it's like a whole nother realm of, okay, what's a, what am I okay with? What am I willing to allow here? How do I, you know, and then there's also the kind of the question, well, what is quote unquote healthy, which if we want to talk about language, that's a word I really, really would love to remove from our vocabulary Mm -hmm. because it's so loaded and it's so subjective. Um, but it really, it becomes, I think the body can become a real gauntlet. um, It's almost an enemy. Even, even if it, it, right. And at a time when it's doing everything it can to, to give life and to, and to um, protect yours and there's um, and it's doing its best. And yes, maybe there needs to be interventions and help along the way, but um it can start to feel that way, like a contentious relationship where it's like the body's not cooperating. It's not doing what I want it to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's so based on either societal standards or like, like I like the way you say it, Melissa, like the, what I've negotiated is okay in myself mm-hmm. and, um, or what someone else said is quote unquote healthy. And, um, it's really, we, we do, I think, you know, we need to learn how to listen like really deeply to our body, to ourselves, to, to navigate motherhood as best we can. And it's sometimes it's like, you have to do that. You know, it's like go time. It's like, Hey, maybe I, I've never really had to do that before, but now I do because my well being depends on it. And just my mental headspace uh, depends on it because those body image concerns and thoughts, they take up a lot of room inside and they follow you around at every meal or snack or every time you, um, put on clothes or, you know, it's so much, it's so much. And to be in that, that headspace, I always want to ask like, you know, what, what else is needing your attention? I mean, there's so many ways to, to ask and to unearth for a woman, 
like what really needs her attention because um, there's always more. We're just like that. There's always another layer. There's always something deeper that that is trying to come through to our awareness. And um, if we can just kind of get behind the noise of what society tells us to worry about, which is our bodies, yeah. and and try to hear like, wait, what am I actually really um, processing in here and navigating inside? Like that's it's a much richer, much more fruitful conversation mm-hmm. with ourselves than sort of the the hourly fight with I mean the minute shape. the yeah. minute fight oh go ahead Laura I was just going to say specifically about pregnancy I think something that I have learned from um, great midwives that I've been able to observe is just opening that conversation about about body changes very early on in pregnancy because I think what happens mm-hmm. is that you know I read this study, it's called a metaphor study where they listen to what women say and they come out with these themes. And there was one about weight and pregnancy. And the metaphor study basically said that women are more concerned with the amount of weight that they gain in pregnancy versus the amount of nutrition that's going to their baby, mm-hmm. which wow. obviously yeah. no one thinks that on a, like a, like a multiple choice level, like those three, there's mm-hmm. not three options right. and someone picked the one option, but as far as what they were talking about and worrying about, so where that energy went, like you're saying, all the space was taken up from, yeah. I'm entering this thing that's definitely going to change my body and I need to do everything I can while I'm pregnant. So it's not that bad. And then the second that I'm not pregnant, I have to start worrying about getting right back to where I was before, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. And that space is so huge. And, and, for me, as someone who sees, you know, who does these appointments, who sits with women, it's also very unrealistic what people expect. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. I feel like it's obviously just par for the course on where we are about how we feel about our bodies. Just because and of Hollywood and to our society. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And in relationship to our society, you know. However, yeah. like I do think that, you know, one of the, you know, from very early on when I started doing women's health, I, I think it was my doula training where we talked about like physically, what does a placenta weigh? Like physically, what does blood weigh? Physically, what, you know, and it's like for some people they need that, you know, and maybe it, maybe it's feeding something inside of them that's not that great, but they actually need to wrap their minds around that, the, the gaining of weight. Like yeah. they don't see it as like, you know, we've been told what our whole life's calories in, calories out, calories in, calories out. Okay. Pregnancy is not like that you know, you know, right. You, need to change, you have to, you have to change your relationship with calories and food, but also you can eat kale eight times a day and you will put your body puts fat on your, on your butt and on your hips and in your belly yeah. because it supports your pregnancy. It physically holds the uterus. <laughs> like it yeah. doesn't, you know, so it's like these weird things where I feel like people do come to that point, you know, and I think what Melissa said is so true is that we have these images from Hollywood media and even some of them, I think, are well-meaning people who are actually trying to focus on health and and be with women mm-hmm. in that space, who do create these very like unrealistic images or ideals. You know, it's like I remember reading something like Heidi Klum had her mom take a picture of her naked every day, mm-hmm. postpartum or something crazy, because she was oh. obsessed with getting back to that place. And people read that and they're like hashtag goals, and I'm like, is that a goal? Uh-huh. Is that a goal? Like, is that the space you should be in yeah. when you have eleven eleven day year old? Yeah, seriously. Oh, wow. You know, and yes. I mean, I mean, not. I mean, Heidi. I'm sure not listening. However, Heidi's totally listening. <laughs> Heidi's listening right I now. Do think, you know, like, yeah, it, 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 you know, it's her job in a way that's not will never be my job for someone to look at my body. I hope, but also, like, I do think that yeah. that it, that is that is the narrative. That is, yeah, is that you are a healthy person if you can get pregnant, put on weight, and take it right off. That's health. Yeah, right. But I'm like, woo. Yeah. 
it's so it's it again it takes the focus off of the the depth of the transform transformative journey that's that's really happening mm-hmm. and and I'm you know so it's just it's a loss mm-hmm. for women to be struggling over there and I and I think many women are frustrated by that like you're saying Melissa like I don't like that I'm thinking about this I'm working with this it's like exhausting, it's exhausting. like when can I get off that wheel? And, um, I just love that you're working with it and aware of it. And, well, I had a friend and trying to, I had a friend who said it to me yeah. in, we were just having a conversation one night. It was uh, two friends and, and I, and we were talking specifically about how fixated on our bodies we are and how, you know, you mentioned like, you know, the hourly check-in it's like, I feel like, I feel like that is, conservative. <laughs> and she said this, she mm. made this gr- this great statement. She said, if I could get back all of the time and energy I have spent thinking, just thinking about yeah. my body, like not even like planning when I'm going to work out, just literally like thinking about my cellulite or thinking about my thighs or thinking about like my any versus my Audi, whatever. If I could get back that time and energy, I could for sure cure cancer. Like the amount of bandwidth that this has taken over the course of my life is energetically equivalent Mm. to the cure of a disease on this planet that is, you know what I mean? It's very, very amazing to think of it that way because Mm -hmm. there isn't a day goes by, even in the state of intention that I try to cultivate, where it's not like you you, you pass a mirror and you're just like, oh, like, (laughs) you know, in in a second's flash, you have dissected your body through this critical lens and, you know, found a million flaws that you, you wish you could change. And in that moment, you think about, uh, like, simultaneously and unconsciously, you think about maybe, maybe you should change your dinner plans or, like, I mean, one thing that, you know, I noticed so many people um, doing and, and certainly feel tempted to do myself sometimes is that we're kind of constantly like, again, coming back to this word negotiating, like, okay, well, if I, if I'm going out for drinks on Friday night with friends, then I probably better like, you know, quote unquote, eat really clean until Friday so that I can deserve to have drinks with my friends on Friday. You know, I feel like there's this earning mentality constantly. And and then, and then Mm -hmm. even though we may have, again, quotes, you know, done really good all week and earned our drinks with friends, we still feel shitty on Saturday. You know, we still feel guilty on Saturday. It's, it's like, you cannot win. (laughs) You can't win. You can't win when it's like, we've made, you know, like weight and health, a moral issue. Like you said, I feel guilty versus, um, I, I don't know, um, tired or something from having, a few drinks, you know, which is a different thing than, um, than the, the sort of the guilt or the shame of the food or the body stuff. Like we've, we've made health this, like you're, you're a good person. If you're healthy, you're not a good person if you're not. And then healthy is this unattainable, perfect thing. That's very subjective and unhealthy is, you know, to eat something on the unhealthy list or do something on the unhealthy list is, is morally wrong. I mean, we've, we've just done such a, disservice to ourselves by trying to, um, aspire to health under Mm -hmm. those conditions. And it, it also, I, I love talking about this in the context of just our children, because, you know, when we're trying to create, um, have our kids have a 
quote unquote healthy relationship with food, we, this isn't, you know, it's just, there's, this is the other direction that some of those, some of our own confusion around that can go. And in our, some of our best intentions with our kids can even be, get a little muddy in there um, and a little polarized around, you know, you're better if you don't eat sugar or, you know, it's just, it's very slippery. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome if we can just learn how to, again, I have the privilege of just years of being in this field and, and contemplating these ideas and issues and having to work on myself. Um, you know, if we can just start to look at our language and look at how we, um, talk to ourselves and think about these things and start to start to kind of mine what, what's actually under there. What do I actually, what's actually true for me, my body, my longevity, my enjoyment of food and movement or, you know, how that all lives for us individually. It's, it's, a, it's not that different of a path. And what we were talking about earlier, trying to find our way as a mother with, with our careers and with raising children, you know, it's like, in so many ways, women have to keep forging their own way and like bushwhacking each trail because what has, what's been offered us is so it's, it's so wrong for us. It's so not reflective of who we really are as humans, as, as wise, capable and life giving human beings. It's the narratives that we've been offered around work or our bodies or our parenting are, are so deeply mm. limited and reductionistic. Yeah. So. And I think it's so fractured. I mean, I feel like that personally, you know, I think something that comes up a lot and I don't want to disregard this because I think it is true. Like they used, you know, mm-hmm. people used to celebrate a body that was fertile or, you know, the image of fertility was actually excess weight. Yeah. Being round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, so I think people are like, that, that's what it used to be like. Now it's what it's like. It's like, actually, that's not true because the reality is part of the oppression of women is that there was cultural re- reduction in desirement post children, hmm. whatever that was body related or not. And that is, that's ingrained in society. And I think that's where it comes up and it pops up now in, in, the, in the ways that we've been speaking about is that it's, you know, mm-hmm. we learn that now from, you know, diet culture, magazine culture, you know, Mm -hmm. women to women culture, men to women Mm -hmm. culture. However, I think for a long time, that has been something that's very difficult in society is that, again, women are, women are the only ones that are, that are supposed to feel differently about their body before and after children, Mm. you know, and some of that is just physically identifiable in some ways, but I think it's also, that is, that, that's in all kinds, I mean, that's in many cultures and many histories and, So I think it is, it's, it's, it's a battle. And I think it's, it's a battle in the sense of the work that you have to do. It can be a battle in the work that you have to do, but I love the idea of it. Also, I think for a lot of women, it does get, start to get really reflective, especially if you have daughters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Start to kind of have to have to look at those things that you have, those like inner voices in yourself and even the external actions that you have from those voices. And, you know, we, we talked with someone about teaching kids how to eat and, their relationship with food mm-hmm. and yeah you know one of the things mm-hmm. Lisa said in that conversation was like if you're constantly depriving yourself of food and giving your children excess you're showing them you know you're showing them with that action like this is what you deserve and this is what I deserve yeah 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 it's that is a really really complicated piece of this and I think mm-hmm. 
you know, thinking about just the conversation around modeling in general, it's like, you know, we model obviously to our children. I think we also significantly model to each other. And, and I, you know, I think we, we all do it in unconscious ways and, and, you know, the, the more, the more conscious we become, you know, the more capable we are, capable we are of, of not doing that. But it's so easy. You know, I, I personally was, I feel like the, my overall takeaway in terms of my relationship with, with food or my body from my childhood was in terms of my mother's influence was, was relatively positive. I had, I had sort of some things of my own that kind of came out in adolescence that were, I think sourced elsewhere, but, you know, I went to college and I lived with, um, a family who, whose mother was like, a you know, she would skip meals and I had never really encountered that before. It wasn't something that I really knew was an option. Like she would, you know, cook these elaborate meals for her family and then, and she just wouldn't eat them. And it occurred to me during mm-hmm. the three years that I lived to that lived with them that like, Oh, like that's what you can do. Like you can just, you know, you can binge and then you can restrict yourself. And I think, I think many, many, many women are caught in that cycle. And many of us are constantly modeling that to each other. You know, I think like the conversations that I am often part of are, you know, I was just at a concert like last week where, you know, my friend had like not eaten all day because she wanted to like, you know, drink that night. And it's just this cycle again, like I was saying earlier of like earning and, you know, I'm curious to ask you, where do you really, like, obviously we're talking about culture and media and, and that in so many ways being kind of the, you know, the, the, the inception of all of this, but, but, you know, in working with women, like, where do you see this coming from on its deepest level? And how do you really address that, that, that feeling of like, I don't deserve to, you know, to, I don't deserve to just treat my, yeah. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Yeah. Don't deserve so much. Um, such a great question. And I, I always want to go to the root of that. Um, because if we can, if we can kind of unearth that root, then a woman has choices. And, and then when she, when, when we're caught in that struggle of negotiating and well, if I do this and I have to do that and compensating all that, like we don't have choices, you know? And, and so, yeah, I always want to find like, where did she, um, it's, it's different for every woman. It's amazing how, even though the themes, the the content of the mind and the, the ways a woman might talk to herself, like so many women can relate to where, where, where it grows from is, it's always an, a fascinating um, journey to, to find that place. And so it usually has a lot to do with, um, like you said, like where, where did I learn that I didn't deserve what other people deserved or where did I learn to stop trusting my body? Where did I learn that my bot, there was something wrong mm-hmm. with my body? Um, where did I get that message? Um, who did I see struggling with that? Who, you know, again, I always want to know like, what was, what did, what was the culture of the, the, what was the culture around food and bodies that you grew up in? How did people relate to their bodies, relate to meals? What were meals like? Were they stressful? Were they comforting? Mm-hmm. Were, you know, it's like, 
there's there's so much to explore there because food is such a huge part of our lives and and of course our bodies there's so much that happens to our bodies along the way and so there's usually a place where something some connection to oneself was fractured or was wounded in a way that um that somehow focusing on controlling food or perseverating on one's body image, like somehow that came in to sort of rescue them from the Mm. pain of whatever the original injury was. Um, And so we, we try to get to that. And, and sometimes people can really see how, wow, by being preoccupied with my body image or my weight or what I'm eating or how much I'm exercising, like it's kept me from dealing with this other, maybe more complex and unwieldy uh, pain or issue or complexity yeah. of life. Um, and, and so that we try to, we try to just move the attention where, where it sort of really belongs. And, and that can be like turning the Titanic in this culture because we're so, there's so much validation for, it, but no, there, my body isn't right. Or, you know, the way I'm eating mm. feels really wrong or, there's so much validation for that. It feels so real. And, and truly, um, if one can just really stay curious about what is this really about for me? What am I really struggling with? What is the, what are the beliefs? If you can get to where those began, um, we can start to attend to ourselves in a way we really needed that didn't happen. It often was, is like a missing developmental, kind of peace that didn't happen for us along the way that we tried to manage by focusing on mm. something more external like our bodies yeah, and things food. that so, you know we can't really control but we we feel like we can we try to yeah exactly exactly we try and we can never live up to the standards we have for ourselves yeah. around the rules or uh, you know, the goals it's like it's it's an unattainable like you right. can never be done and and that's kind of totally. what's so compelling about it too. It's like there's no there's no finish line, and so it's it's very mm. um, it's really tricky in this culture. And there's I think there's it's not going anywhere to you know in the next little while. So the more we can understand as women, like what's really going on here, um, the more we can help each other with that, and it's it's going to be huge. Like we we need to support each other with it for sure, and instead of kind of throwing fuel on those fires Mm, with each other, right? So we're going to take a quick second to hear a little bit more about this week's sponsor. Our sponsor this week has a super inspiring approach to saving for your kid's college. Have you ever heard of GoFundMe? It's this brilliant way that you can get your community involved in funding something that's important to you. And this works just the same. And you can get your family and friends to make a one-time or ongoing donation to your child's college fund by providing them with a simple link. And one of the best parts about College Backer is that you can literally pay what you want for the service. I think most of us have been burnt by services where we get surprised by hidden fees and College Backer is so transparent about their pricing that they let you pay what you think the service is worth to you. What? I thought I would just share a small clip from our conversation with the COO of College Backer, Abby Chow, which explains their pay what you want approach. To hear the full conversation, you can check out episode 68, which aired on July 30th. 
Yeah. So we have a really unique business model and it's basically uh, pay what you can. So when you start with College Backer, you can actually choose your own fee from zero to $10 a month. And the service is exactly the same regardless of how much you choose to pay. Um, so you could you know, start at $0 just to test things out. But then over time, we hope that as you realize the benefits of College Backer and you, know, you start seeing other people contribute into the account and you start seeing the growth on the account, that you, of course, support our business by choosing to make um, a contribution into College Backer. That is pretty hard to beat, so don't wait to get started. Head over to www.collegebacker.com slash motherbirth for more information and to get signed up. They are offering a $10 match on your initial contribution exclusively for Motherbirth listeners. And now we're going to get back to our conversation with Ellen. Ellen, I'm curious to know in your work with women, have you seen, have you seen any or many women seem to have not struggled with, you know, body image or, um, you know, identity, body identity stuff, eating disorders, and then have, you know, motherhood sort of be that initial trigger where now they're dealing with body dysmorphia and maybe even an eating disorder. Have you, have you seen that sort of be the trigger for women at any point? You know, I've seen it be the trigger and the cure, so to speak. Um, Mm, I've seen women fall deep into that after, um, birth and early motherhood. Sometimes that can be such a dysregulating, you know, especially even if birth has been traumatic or um, some things have just unraveled in a way that is just feels overwhelming to a woman. Absolutely. An eating disorder can enter in um, and she can, you know, try to be and just start to become extremely preoccupied with food and body at that time. Um, And I've also Mm -hmm. seen it work the reverse where, of course you can never plan this, but where a woman who maybe, who I worked with for a long time around her recovery, um, gets pregnant and suddenly feels freed from it. She suddenly feels like, wow, my body has this innate wisdom and I can hear it and I'm listening and I'm, I'm honoring it and I'm, I'm not going to restrict and I'm not going to, um, overwhelm it with exercise or food or neglect. And, and so it's like, it can be such a healing, journey for a woman with her body too. It's been amazing to see that or after birth, you know, um, then too can also, it's just, we never know when things are going to turn off or on so much in someone, but obviously overwhelming stress Mm. can definitely be a trigger for, um, a woman developing an eating disorder because, um, that's just, it's a place we go. It's something we can kind of easily, look at that sort of seems sort of simple and fixable when we have, you know, if we look in the other direction, again, there's like all these complex variables that we don't know how to sort out and don't know how to relate to. And we don't have the support. It's, it's a way to avoid some of that overwhelm. Yeah. Can we talk, can we talk about body dysmorphia? Because I feel like there's so many people you know, that I know in my life that are probably listening to the show that think like, Hey, I don't puke after meals. Like I don't starve myself, but you know, I, I, so I must be fine. But I I think a lot of people don't realize where they really are at and how they perceive Mm -hmm. their bodies and, and how they, you know, hold themselves to these standards or punish themselves Mm -hmm. in ways that Mm -hmm. maybe don't seem as obvious. Um, can, can you just kind of maybe shed some light on that for women? Sure. Um, 
you know, it's become so normal in our culture to, to put our bodies down, to have problems with our bodies, to not like parts of our bodies, um, to make comments about the food we're eating or the food we won't eat. And, you know, it's, it's become so normal. Um, but I continue to think that that is abnormal. (laughs) So, um, you know, I was someone who had some of those kind of quote unquote normal issues with my body and food, which, which I now think are totally not normal to have. And although in this society, that's the, that's the norm, it's common. And so, um, yeah, so many women, um, will see so much wrong with their body, but an outsider or someone who loves them or, or really knows who they are as a human being sees them and their body in a completely different way. And most of us actually have, if we look around the world and just, and just start noticing, you know, who we, who, who's, who out there is beautiful. Who do I notice? Who am I drawn to? The range of people is really much larger than the media would ever give us. You know, we, um, there's so much more to beauty than the two dimensional. And so, you know, think of the, you know, the women you love in your life and the, and how beautiful they are to you and their different shapes and features and everything. And, and so, so many of those women that we love, they, they pick themselves apart and don't feel okay about their appearance. And it's, it's really painful when you start to learn about Mm. that. Um, so, so yes, there is a level of quote unquote normalcy to those, those kind of middle of the road food and body image struggles. And I definitely would want to be the voice of someone who says, do not accept that. Do not accept that that's okay. Would you want your daughter (laughs) thinking that way about her beautiful, her, you know, her beautiful body, whatever it looks like. And no, none of us would. And so, um, I, I do think that it's, that every woman can reflect on how do I talk to myself? How am I thinking about things? Can I, can I soften there? Can I be more of, um, can I give myself more permission? Can I be more honest? Can I really look at what, why am I, why have I decided that there's something wrong with my cellulite, you know, like, or my gray hair or, um, what my breasts postpartum, you know, I mean, there's so many, there, you know, age, there's just aging, you know, there's, there's that too. That's like a whole nother thing we totally struggle with. It's like, this is this more, again, a normal human event and process like birth is, but we have, um, completely jumped on that as a, as a big one, huge problem that we have to micromanage and, so as a society, we have a lot there. And I, I feel like women, can, we can continue to, to, to imagine extracting ourselves from that paradigm. And, um, I think reinforcing, you know, I really try to just look at all my choices, you know, the magazines I buy or the things I listen to or watch, or even the products I use, like, I really want it all to feel like it's empowering and supportive messages to me and my body. And, Um, it's not easy to necessarily always find those things, but, um, even when it comes to creams I put on my face, you know, I want to think about like, what's the message coming through this, this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and that's not how everyone needs to do it, but I mean, there's a lot of ways to engage with, um, with the external world and how we're, what we're taking in. And, uh, I'd, I'd love for there to be more and more, um, of women pushing back against kind of what we've been fed 
and told is wrong or wrong with aging, wrong with our pregnant bodies or postpartum bodies. And, and to work on that, you know, accepting ourselves, accepting the truth of our experience and then helping other women do that. I I think we can change this from the inside out. I absolutely do. There's, there's so much change Mm -hmm. afoot for women right now. And this, this could be another piece of it. Hmm. I love that example you gave. It's not something I would really have ever thought of, um, you know, using like a beauty product and, and being intentional about choosing beauty products that don't reinforce these ideals of, you know, reversing time or, you know, gaining something that you've lost or, you know, being something that you're not. And, and that's, I've never really thought of that. You know, I, I think it's, it's a really holistic and, and really like gentle, nourishing way to think about a, a really everyday simple choice that is pretty unconscious. I mean, we make decisions based on marketing, you mm-hmm. know, that we've been influenced by that has, that has been effective, you mm-hmm. know, and it, yeah, like what's the difference between choosing a face cream that you choose because it feels nourishing and comforting to you versus a face cream that's going to make you look like a teenager again, right. you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really, really powerful difference. It's, you know, I mean, in the work that I do with women around loss and and that kind of thing, I talk to women a lot about how, like, we don't just, you know, we, we, we work on and choose affirmations that affirm and reinforce these beliefs that we're working to build. But we don't just do that with our words. We do that with so many different choices. And I think that, yeah. you know, this is a, that's a really interesting example of, of one of the ways that we can enfor- reinforce or you know, we can reinforce the belief we're trying to build, or we can reinforce the belief we're trying to, to deconstruct, you know? Yes, totally. It's the same with Mm. food. It's like, am I eating this to nourish myself? Or am I eating this because it's the lowest calorie thing? Or, you know, it's like, how are we, how are we making choices? Our, our agency from within is so powerful. And so many corporations you know, we, we support so much. Um, and so yes, the, all those choices, um, with how we think, what we buy, the, the things we choose, um, we, we have a lot of power there and, um, it's, it is an, I think that's why I loved the eating disorder field for so long because it was with each woman, it was sort of making that journey back into herself of what she really wants, who she really is, what she wants to stand for. And, and, you know, for some of those women, it was really becoming a life or death choice to, to figure that out. You know, they weren't mm-hmm. going to be alive much longer if they didn't, um, make some serious headway there that, and it was, I was like, I guess I feel like every woman's having like, is like doing this revolutionary work with herself, um, mm-hmm. because they're so going against the norm to recover. If they, they have to go against everything that they've sort of learned is, is quote unquote good for a woman and, um, and really find themselves. And, and I think, I think motherhood's another opportunity for that, for us to wake up to who am I really, what do I, what do I believe? What is right for me? What do I want to reinforce for myself, for my family? Um, we can really take back our, our agency and our power in in that role. Mm. You know, I I feel like the conversations you have on this podcast really, really encourage that for women Mm. too. Well, that's encouraging to hear because that's definitely what we're oh yeah what we're trying to go for. Yes, you absolutely are. Hmm. So, for women listening to this who you know are, are resonating with this, realizing that there are ways that 
consciously and unconsciously, they're kind of reinforcing these, these cultural ideas about our bodies, about food, about, you know, the shifts that are, that we go through when we become mothers. Um, you know, some of us that have maybe been dealing with this stuff our whole lives long. What are, what are some, you know, a couple of takeaways, a couple of things to think about in relation to, you know, how we talk about our bodies, how we, um, you know, show up in our conversations with friends, with our children, with our partners, any, any things that you would share that, um, can be a starting point? Mm-hmm. Well, I, th- I think initially I just, I want those women that are resonating with this and struggling with this to really hear that they, um, they deserve support and care and understanding around this. It's, it's painful inner dialogue that they're dealing with and, it's not their fault. It's, it's a product of so much of our culture and society and, and even well-intentioned people, um, trying to support other people's health and well-being. Um, so I just, I just want to validate that it's, um, it's painful and it's, um, uh, that it's worth navigating, not taking, not taking it as just like, Oh, this is just how women are. This is just, this is just what happens. Like, no, it's not, it is not how you have to think and feel about yourself. So I, I just want women to know that. And, and I also don't want, I also want them to know it's not a, it's not a simple or easy fix. Um, I think Mm -hmm. Melissa, you've alluded, you know, you've spoken to like, this is, this feels like an ongoing practice and I don't think it has to be lifelong, but I do think it takes, um, us being very conscious of how we, how we're thinking about ourselves and talking to ourselves, what, what words we're using out in the world, how we're looking at other women and, and what we're, you know, just really becoming aware of our thoughts and our judgments and, and the ways we've bought into some really limited thinking about beauty and health and wellness and being willing to, to reflect on that and sort of take stock. Um, Mm that's a, that's a, the next step. And then of course, beyond that, it is like being willing to, to each day consider, um, you know, those choices we're making as we were speaking about choices about how we're, how we're taking things in to our bodies and how we're choosing to spend our time <laughs> as much as we can. And, um, and also, um, really thinking about the, the ways that other, that our community can help us, you know, how we can be part of our part of this change. I guess if we want to see it for ourselves, we can also support it with other women. And, um, I can't tell you how many conversations I, I find myself in where women are making comments about their bodies or, mm-hmm. um, food. And, you know, I always try to say something, that, that speaks to what my values are there. I, I don't want to, it's definitely not about shaming anyone or correcting them, but I, I definitely want to try and offer, um, permission for just, you know, there doesn't need to be judgment in places where it's not necessary, like around our food, our bodies and food, <laughs> we just don't need yeah. it there. So I think we can, there's, there's many things we can do. And, and obviously it begins with just just really having enough, um, love and care for ourselves to, to want to work on this. And then knowing that it's not, 
it doesn't change overnight because we're, we're really swimming upstream to do this differently yeah. still in this culture. And, and we can, we can help each other. We can keep, um, you know, there's a great resource actually. There's so many good resources out there for, um, shifting the culture here. And one of them is, um, the work of the health at every size movement. They're yeah. just one of the best. Christy Harris. Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah, so it's awesome. And so awesome. And so there, there are so many, there are, there are things trying to push back on this cultural paradigm we're in and, um, we're not alone, but we also don't want to stay where we are. Yeah. It's not good for us. Yeah. And in another couple months, we have an episode that we'll be releasing um, with Virginia Soul Smith, who is uh, about to release her new book, um, The Eating Instinct. And it it really gets at mm. a lot of these these same kind of things around diet culture and, you know, body image. Um, and you should you should check out her stuff as well. But I think it's yeah. it's just so important to be to be really making space for these conversations and asking asking these questions and, and holding up that mirror, like, like you're saying, like, this actually isn't normal. This actually isn't okay. Yes. Just because this is how you talk and your friends talked and your mother talked and your mother-in-law talks yes. doesn't mean it's okay. And it also yeah. is up to us to be part of changing that for ourselves, but for others. And I think, you know, yeah. when, like you said, it doesn't have to be in a judgmental way and it doesn't mean you have to say something every single time, but there are definitely moments where, you're in a conversation with friends or for me, it's often with my mother-in-law where I'm like, actually, no, like we're not going <laughs> to, I don't say that, but you know, like the, the feeling is like, that's actually not how we're going to talk about yeah. our bodies and about like these sacred, sacred vessels that have been gifted to us and that have been gifted to our children. Like, you know, I, I'm often in moments w- with my mother-in-law where, you know, she's saying something to my son about like a fat person or about how she's not going to, you know, eat anything because she, you know, is, is fat or trying, you know, and I'm just like, I just, I feel compelled. I'm like, I'm so sorry, but you know, it, I, you know, because, because that's so pervasive yeah. I, as someone trying to consciously create a different model, I have to work harder at disassembling that belief, especially for my children, you yeah. know? And, and um, I mean, you know, Laura, you mentioned earlier about like, we often feel that way, especially when we have daughters. Well, I think that, you know, we need to have these conversations just as much with our sons. I'll, I'll just give you guys a little snippet. Like before, when I was pregnant with my son, Aiden, during my first pregnancy, you know, and I, I weighed like 120 pounds at the time. And, and I, and the reason I weighed that was because I was like severely restricting myself and had been at that point for years. You know, I, Mm -hmm. it's, that's the only reason I, I weighed 120 pounds. That's not, that's not normal for my body, you know, right. Even when I'm, you know, fit or whatever, like I just, I just don't weigh 120 pounds. Anyways, I Mm -hmm. asked him fairly early on in my pregnancy. I said, what do you think, you know, and I was, I was asking him this nervously, like trying to get a feel for, how he would feel about it if like my body changed a lot. And I just, I just point blank asked him like, what do you think will happen to my body after, you know, after I have this baby or after I have babies? And he, he like just as nervously, you know, and I don't fault him for this because he was raised by his mother in this same culture, but he just said, I'm sure you'll be just as skinny as ever. Those were his exact words. And I have carried that with me to this day, even though 
I know that that doesn't matter and that he didn't even mean it in the way he said it and that I don't believe that and all of the things, right? I still carry those words with me to this day. We have Mm. to teach our sons that this shit is not okay. (laughs) You know, if my son grows up thinking that his wife will probably be just as skinny as she ever was, whatever that means, then like the, what we're setting them up for is awful. You know, totally. Yeah. And there's so many, you know, my kids are a little older now. And so there's, there's many opportunities out in the world, things they hear at school, like so many opportunities to teach them something different than what they're hearing because they, they do, there is a lot of messages out there. Um, a lot of sizeism and it's, it's intense and, and yeah, um, even from people they love, you know, grandparents and things like that. And so, um, there are, there are many opportunities to, to, yeah, say the thing we want them to learn. But, but of course, as you were saying earlier, Melissa, like the, the modeling we do, we, we, that is, that is extremely powerful. And I know it's a, it's a, it can be an intimidating burden as a parent to think like, well, I'm not perfect. I don't have everything figured out. Mm -hmm. And like, my kids are just downloading everything. And, um, I don't, I don't think we need to be perfect or have everything figured out. I certainly don't. Um, but if we can be reflective, there's actually so much actual research that talks about how a self-reflective parent really just that skill alone can create such safety and security in a family. And so if we can just be works in progress, that's, that's fine. And we can be, you know, working towards something, but, but that willingness to reflect on ourselves and our lives and really think about who we are and how we're how, how we are and, and do the same for our children, really wonder who they are and what's Mm. happening in their minds and their worlds. Like that alone is, is a very powerful skill that, that helps really build secure families. And so Mm. I I guess I also want people to hear that too, because, you know, we're not going to be perfect. We're not always going to send the message we want to convey, but, but we can, we can stay awake there and keep, returning and, and let them, let them see what it's like to be a a human being that's, that's growing and evolving and, um, and contemplating who they are and making, making changes as, as are important to us, not because we should, but because we're intrinsically inspired if, if that's true. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your perspective with us. I feel like, I feel like this could be like a, we, we might need to have a part two at some point. (laughs) Um, So so, uh, we'll keep an open mind on that. Um, Ellen, where can people find you? Uh, I have a website. It's primarily for my private practice here in Boulder, but it's just ellenbader.com. And then I also have a blog uh, that I, um, I've been taking a few months off of it, but I'm, I'm gearing back up to be contributing to it again, but it's been going for a few years and it's called rearranged by motherhood. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I definitely do explore some of the things we're talking about on here. It's just a nice place to read and connect with, uh, other, other women and other mothers. Wonderful. Well, we'll share links to, to all of that in our show notes on the website. So if anyone wants to, especially if you live in Boulder and want to connect with Ellen um, or check out her blog, you can do that at the show notes. Um, Thank you so much, Ellen, for sharing your wisdom and, and going deep with us today. My pleasure. Thanks to both of you. 
Yeah. And everyone, you can also connect with us over on Instagram at motherbirth.co. We're having lots of amazing conversations over there as we um, explore even further into the realms of motherhood and, and share lots of inspiring content and have great conversations. So check that out. And thank you so much for listening today. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth. And a special thanks to our editors, sponsors, and guests for this week's show. As always, this show is created by Lauren Melissa and is intended as general information that does not constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care if you are pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period. In this episode, we may use affiliate links to products and services that we know and trust. These are products we have personal experience with and believe that they will benefit our community. When you use these links, Mother Birth receives a small commission. What you pay for the product or service doesn't change at all. It's the same price. If we share something that includes a discount code, we may still receive an affiliate commission without affecting the discount offered to you. Thank you for supporting our show.